0: This is Disrupting Recruitment, a podcast focused on moving recruitment from a reactive to a proactive state. We talk to experts as well as recruitment marketers living it day to day to learn how to improve inbound as well as outbound and other recruitment marketing strategies. And it all starts now. All right and uh, so we're back for another episode in our second season of disrupting recruitment so today we have james hornet on Uh, we're going to talk a lot about recruitment um, relationships between ta teams and uh, agencies um, and uh, just how to be a little bit more proactive and, and leverage all of the resources available to you uh, in the best way possible. So, um, James, great to have you. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? I know that uh, everybody that knows me probably knows you because you <laughs> know way more people than I do. But uh, let's let's start
1: there anyway. Sure. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I'm James Hornick. I'm a partner and the chief revenue officer at Hirewell. Um, we are um, U.S. based recruitment firm. We kind of recruit nationwide. Uh, We have a lot of different divisions of areas of focus and specialization, which took us a long time to build out. I mean, I've been here for 17 years, which is roughly, you know, when we started and we were just a four person shop back in those days. Now we're 120 people, not including some of the acquisitions we made uh, recently, Um, but we have specialized people focusing in tech, in HR and talent acquisition, recruiting and marketing and sales and finance, accounting and real estate currently building out uh more specializations in both uh supply chain and insurance so yeah we're busy
0: <laughs> yeah i you know i i see you uh you and jeff all the time um with your 10-minute rants and the highlight uh, of our week I,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, it, it's brilliant really like i i you know i'm just going to go and bitch for 10 minutes and yeah. well, people are going to love it. I was
1: we, not to turn this into a content talk, but obviously we're on a podcast right now, but it's something that we, uh, you know, we're, we're getting more people in the organization involved, you know, and, and more people want to kind of do their own podcast or video segments or whatever. And the thing I always impress upon people is like, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to do it one, you have to commit. And two, it has to be subject matter. Like you just enjoy or format you enjoy that way. It doesn't feel like work, you know? Um, yeah. so Jeff and I can. We like complaining about stuff, so. <laughs> and we like short meetings, so there you go. Like a 10-minute yeah. rant, like right in our wheelhouse. Anyway.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. It is a lot of work, and, and uh, that's why there's millions of podcasts that last about six or seven episodes. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're on our second season. So Nice. Uh, that, uh, uh, I just decided, you know, we were going to take a little break in August and, and uh, run September as As the startest that's when you know all the fall programs come out yeah, right I know so yeah,
1: Gotta <laughs> kick things off and hope you get renewed for season three, you know anyway,,
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, well, hopefully we will get picked up again um so one of the reason I reached out to you it has been a while now since uh since we set this up and and actually got to jump on this call, but um the reason I reached out to you was during that time where. There was a lot of layoffs of recruiters and we're still seeing it, um, to an extent and you and I and, um, Michelle got into a little bit of a discussion on LinkedIn about, um, you know, that sort of phenomenon and, uh, really talking about how TA leaders really need to think a lot more proactively. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought it would be a good time to pick up that conversation a little bit more live as opposed to just, uh, on comments on LinkedIn. Yeah. But, uh, so what was your thoughts on that whole Mm -hmm. recruiter layoff? I know it, it just, to me, it, it feels like laying off sales people when you don't have sales. It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity when, when things are slow and I'm not hiring a bunch of people to re jig or restructure your TA team and and start to get more proactive in developing relationships with potential candidates and, uh, developing marketing campaigns and relationships with vendors and, and working on all of that stuff. Um, yeah. So, so what, what's your thoughts on that?
1: There's a, there's a lot to this and it's kind of nuanced. So, um, I, I guess the first the first question I always have is like, why are like specifically why are recruiters getting laid off? Right. And it's the, the data I pulled, and this is not like a, a super scientific study, but I went to like that layoffs.fyi. Some of the companies give you access to everyone. They got laid off kind of ran all the ones who did I kind of ran them through just did some kind of Excel wizardry to kind of figure out what came from what skill sets. And it was pretty apparent that, um, recruiters. Compared to the total number of layoffs that happen by any other group, we're like twice as likely to get laid off by anyone in tech, let's say, right? Um, now, what's what's unique about recruiters is um, you can be, it, in order to need a recruiter, you have to hire, right? If you're an organization that never hires, you don't need a recruiter. And that's obviously not like a real thing, right? There's companies are always hiring, whether it's just like incremental growth or backfilling or whatnot. But you know, the point is, like, you can be. You can be a successful organization, stable revenues, everyone's happy. Everyone's getting their bonus and you can be in sales or tech or product or some other area and being flat is fine, but being in recruiting, it's like, okay, what's, what's your role? You know, if you're a flat organization, it's not like adding headcount. Like that's the whole purpose. Like it's the only area that's kind of unique like that, where you need to have growth in order to kind of have a role to fill, but, um, I, I the the flip side of that is there. I, and I've always said this. There is a mis, misunderstanding with a lot of CEOs, leaders of companies, people building companies out, as to how both difficult and strategic recruiting is as a function to your company. I think a lot of um, a lot of people who start businesses they're focused on a killer product, something they're passionate about. And they're focused on sales, which are two very important things. Right. But I think it's foolish to not realize that like how you're going to add the people to consistently over time to execute your vision as equally as important, if not more important than some of those things. It's, it's completely, it's, it's foolish and it's, it's a miss. And it's because a lot of these people don't, they never came from recruiting or they didn't never had to see firsthand how hard this stuff is. You know, they, maybe they did something else where. You know, or they started the organization and the first 10 hires were their friends and like, oh, this is, you know, it's no big deal. Like there's, there's a lot. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. So I'm not saying it's to Criticize, like I totally understand where that comes from, but if you look at and to, to switch gears again, if, if you look at this, the commentary on LinkedIn, the anti-recruiter commentary, people are frustrated with like shitty process, um, they got ghosted. Um, they had too many interviews they, no one heard back from them. The company did a poor job of articulating details. The job was different than X. Ex- like there's a million things out there you've seen, you know, it's any, any day there's gonna be someone out there complaining about like their experience as a job seeker. This stuff happens because internal TA departments aren't treated strategically enough, you know, they aren't like, they aren't given the resources to actually flush out a process that works, that's gonna create a positive experience. It, They're all in fire drill mode consistently. Like you hire when you, like you recruit when you need to hire and it's always a last minute thing and that's when things, you know, end up being more half-assed and it's, it's not always optimal. So in, when times are normal, companies aren't typically spending enough time and effort actually building these processes out. And actually creating, like creating that positive, cause you need, this takes time. You know, you need, it's a proactive thing you need to put time into. If you're 100% of the time is spent on chasing fire drills of like critical positions, you're never actually putting the time you need into like actually building things out in a way that's gonna make things better, more sustainable, more scalable in the future. Um, so I, I think the discussion we had was, and and I, I kind of see both sides. Like you, like when, when company when a company gets crushed, you know, and they're missing their revenue targets, there's a certain amount of layoffs that kind of have to happen. Right. You just can't like, you can't keep paying salaries when you're already underwater. and I mean, go insolvent, right. We can't be completely yeah. like, we can't have our blinders on that. Like no one should get laid off. It's just a silly thing to say, but at the same time too, we've always seen when, when there are downtimes having some of you, that's, that's the best time for your internal TA staff to start like focusing more on those strategic projects. Cause there is less of that kind of like hair on fire work to do. But if you lay all of them off at that point in time, like then you're just, you're not capitalizing on the, the extra time you have available, you know, and then those things never happen. And then when things get better again, you're once again, back to like having your poor candidate experience with your interview process. Cause you, never optimized or never took advantage of the downtime, which is maybe a funny thing to say um, because you didn't look at it strategically. It was just strictly a a knee-jerk panic decision.
0: Yeah. You know, I I think you're right. There's, and as a business owner, I can tell you there's times where you're panicking and you're like, how do I keep the lights on? And, and I want to be able to pay everybody. And um, so you do have to lay some people off and uh, that, I mean, I totally get that, but if you're a, if you're in a, if I think there's a difference between being in a cyclical business where I know that I'm going to have to hire and then I know that I'm going to have downtimes, um, you can plan for that a lot better than if, you know, you're a business that was hit by a pandemic and your revenues, uh, were impacted and you had to lay people off. Uh, one of the things. And I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead of where I wanted mm-hmm. to go with this, but um, one of the things in my agency world that always pissed me off is when we were called in in a panic mode because of, you know, I've been trying to fill this role for 30 days or 40 days, 60 days, six months, whatever, mm-hmm. and I need help. Can you help me do it? Um, where what I really like about you guys at Hardwell, is you seem to have more of a relationship with your clients that we're an extension of your TA team and and we're here when you need us, kind of like rent us out when you need us. And if you don't need us, then that's okay. Um, how do you, like, I I don't want you to give away all of your secret sauce and how you guys are so successful (laughs) in your business, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that's to me, I think that's the model that needs to happen between, um, employers and agencies. I, I, I've seen too many cutthroat, like the employer is competing against the agency and it's contingency and the agency is just throwing shit at the wall and open it sticks. Yeah. Um, I, I think if you're in that cyclical business where, you know, I know I'm going to need to ramp up my hiring, and then I'm going to be good for three or four months. Um, then, develop a relationship with a strategic partner like an agency that you can lean on when those times come.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and and the view has always been, well, they're so expensive, but so is hiring. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. So, if
0: I'm hiring a recruiter every six months, that's costing me a lot of money too.
1: Yeah. So the flip side of this, and I I, I was going to. I don't want to jump into this until it was time because this is obviously where it gets, you know, slightly salesy on my end. Um, but, and, and <laughs> from, okay. from what you said, uh, about like giving away our secrets, like, here's the thing. I'm happy to talk about this stuff and tell people exactly how we work, because th- I, these are the directions the industry needs to go. The other problem I think that causes all these recruiter layoffs and everything else is, well, it's, they just hired too many recruiters to begin with, you know, and uh, like you should have, you need a, you have to have a solid talent acquisition team internally for whatever your known demand is, sustained demand on, on whatever basis. But, you know, every company that like goes through hiring, they have binges and purges, right? And I think that they lean too much in that. There is a mindset, I think, within like kind of traditional kind of classic HR that everything has to be done with full-time employees, full-time recruiters, I mean, and that comes from, bad experiences previously with agencies and everyone just had one model, like wind back the clock, you know, 20 years or whatever. You had your con like contingent model is what every kind of agency used. Right. And it sucks. It's like the dumbest model ever because for various reasons, one is super expensive in at scale, you know, like, I understand like things are expensive when you need to make one like niche hire, but like, if you need to make a hundred hires, like no one can afford to hire a contingent firm for that. Right. And you know. That that's secondly, there's the way that positions have evolved. Everything has become more headhunting. I think at one point in time, uh, positions were I don't want to say more generic, but there was left less differentiation. You know, the development world, for instance, like now there's so many different like like subsets of languages and new niches come out. Whereas like 20 years ago you know, if you were a Java developer, a.net developer, that's all someone needed to see. You know what I mean? Like you had experience that stuff. Yeah, It's way more specific. And it's like that everywhere. It's like that in marketing. Marketing might be even more apparent because like marketing has all these different kinds of niche skills within digital and demand gen and product. Whereas 20 years ago, most companies just needed a marketing manager who did a little bit of everything, right? The more specific skills get, the more specialization you need to recruit these people, the more time it takes. And the model of, the classic contingent model, the way the companies do it, get, give me five firms and we'll let them fight over it. It just doesn't work because it's, it's, it's way more time consuming than it used to be. No one has, there's the idea that anybody has like a pool of candidates like sitting around doesn't exist because no one, no one in these skill sets stays on the market for more than a week or two weeks anyway. And it's what, so when you're, when you're a recruiter putting tons and tons of time into something and you've got five in, uh, Long story, you end up piecing them out, right? like you end up finding who the difficult clients are and you end up not putting time into it. And then the clients think, well, all these recruiting firms are terrible because they kind of ghosted me and all this kind of stuff. But it's really, they're just as much at fault too, because, you know, they made no commitments to anybody and they're making four firms work for free, essentially. Um, yeah. so that's, that's part of the problem. Now, the solution is a lot has changed since then. There's a lot of firms out there, mine and others that have come up with approaches that are more consultative, that are more designed to scale, that are designed to kind of step in and step out. So when companies do have these kind of, um, you know, these three month spikes, three month spikes, sorry. Um, they're able to come in, dedicate resources to them, make sure the positions get filled, do it at a price point cost per hire that's less than traditional contingency models. And both, you know, provide a provider, better value for the clients. Um, provide better quality of service for the candidates because when they're doing this type of approach, you know, can experience is kind of when you're an extension of an organization, you're much more kind of tight-knit. There's a lot of ways of kind of doing this. I think the challenge is a lot of companies still don't, aren't aware this exists, or they've had such bad experiences with agencies previously. They say, oh, you're an agency, sorry, we don't work with agencies without even like understanding that the, the, the market has changed there's better models out there and you can find partners that can do the job and represent you just as well as your own team can. And they can come in and come out, step in, step out when it makes sense. And then you're not laying anybody off, you know, and you're actually getting, you're actually retaining more domain knowledge because every time you hire a full-time employee that you then lay off six months later, like all that domain knowledge evaporates, all that time and effort training them versus when you have an organization, like we're not going anywhere. We've had plenty, we've had hundreds of clients at this point where we've come in for projects left, come back. We still know everyone there. We still know their process, their vibe. It just makes it a, a seamless, like you can turn the faucet on and off whenever you need to.
0: I've I've always was like the contingency model. I don't know where it came from, in and how it got so popular. Well, I think I know how it got so popular is because recruiters could dip their toes, their TA teams could dip their
1: toes yeah. in and risk, and, risk and not free, have to right? Risk you don't have yeah, to yeah, make risk any free, right? It's risk free. There's no downside when things are risk free.
0: It was like when I was in, I worked in the electrical business for a little, a little while and it was like, why is everybody fighting over 10% profit? Like, why don't we just agree to fight over 20? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are we always cutting each other's throats? Like, let's just agree that we're not going to drop down below this, but then there's always that one person that does. Right. Yeah. But to me, like a marketing team would never go out to four different vendors and say, build me a website. And if I like your website,
1: mm-hmm. I'll pay you for it. No no one would do this. Absolutely no one. There's no, no no development shop, no, no services industry, no business consultant, no, you know, no plumber, you know, I'm going to have three plumbers come do some work. I'm going to pay the one I like. It's, it's insanity that, um, it's insanity that any recruiting firms agreed to this and started doing it, but it's bigger insanity that like companies expect a high level of service at a contingent firms. Like, of course you're going to get like everyone's worst possible effort, right? Just because you're oh, exactly you're not, they might be working. They're probably working for free when you're. So you get what you pay for. Anyway,
0: I because I was talking to um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's in marketing a while back. Back during my agency days, and the and they I said, you know, I just the volatility of it. Like I just I can't stand it. And um, you know, they said, well, if I. I only get paid for my projects. I was like, yeah, but you don't have somebody come to you and say, look, we want to build a website and this is the website we're going to build and you build it for them. And then they go, well, you know what, we had somebody internally that could do it and they built it and we like, theirs better. So we're going to use that one. Like Mm -hmm. I just, you know, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. So we like, we need to get out of that contingency model and more partnership that like, that was one thing that, that I always drove me nuts and I really respect about you guys is that you really seem to have pulled that off and and developed really good partnerships with your clients.
1: Yeah. So the the we didn't invent the model, but like our, you know, one of the I guess one of the ways, because I'll mention, I'll just touch cover one kind of how this there, there's two ways to go about it. The one way, um Jeff Smith, who I do the 10 minute talent I ran with, um He runs a division that does our on-demand recruiting and Jeff comes from a background. He worked both internally. He he's run internal talent acquisition before at a few organizations. He started his career in agency. He sees both sides of it and recognizes there's kind of a breakdown, you know, why is there, some? there should be some sort of service that can kind of bridge the gap between the two. Now, one thing you'll probably see me start like ranting about this sometime soon, because this has been kind of top of mind is like, it's a, it's a different take on RPOs, right now. RPOs in the classic sense, your recruitment process outsourcing is, is code for sell the most expensive project you can, um, and then go back and find the most junior resources who don't know what they're doing to fulfill it. And everyone's locked in, has a terrible experience and, and whatnot. Now, not to take a crap on every RPO firm, but that's, I tell, I mean, that's how a lot of them do it. Um, like our, our mentality has been, we're gonna hire people proactively who are senior recruiters have that mix of both internal and external experience. Um, all of our clients get, you know, they'll be when we, when we talk with clients, we're very realistic about what we can and can't do, who we do and don't have, we cover a lot of skill sets between the team we have, but we're not going to oversell you on a project. We just want to make sure we have a 100% hit and success rate. Um, and then we're also able to, you know, because we're hiring people, we are, these are already members of our team. These are already senior staff. We're not going out and scrambling to find someone last minute hoping they're good. Like we know they're good. Um, because we've, we've brought them on for projects before we do HR recruiting as a side note. So a lot of these people we've known for years before we brought them on, maybe they've been our internal contacts and we work with organizations, but there's a lot of vetting that goes involved. So we don't oversell projects and oversell our abilities. And then our clients get to actually meet like whoever they're going to be working with on a project. Right. So, um. It's not kind of like a sight unseen thing where it just starts. Like we can make sure there's good alignment. We want to make sure our recruiter is going to be happy with the project. We don't want them taking on something that we don't want our own employees having a bad experience by taking on a project they can't do or with an unrealistic client. Similarly, we want to make sure our client knows exactly who they're going to be working with because it's, they will be working with and managed like the same way as part of their internal team. So like they're, they've got their, they're gonna, they're gonna brand themselves the same way they're their LinkedIn, their email is going to be, you know, whatever our clients say, you know, so we just want to make sure there's good alignment there because, you know, that's, that's what it takes to actually have that kind of seamless experience where you're really extending, you know, uh, an organization's, you know, TA team, as opposed to just like stepping in out of nowhere and half-assing it like a lot of places have done previously. So,
0: yeah. So if you were going to build, um, if you were to build the ideal internal TA team, what would that look like to you?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a big question. Let me think about that for a second. I mean, it it depends on a lot of things, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think you need, um, I guess without having parameters and constraints on, on budgets or anything else like that, I mean, you have to have a strategic leader first off. I think that's the most important thing. Um, the biggest mistake that most organizations make is they hire an HR person who doesn't really know TA, didn't really come from it. Like they're making their first, like you're growing, you hire your first HR person and you throw talent acquisition in their lap and they may have no idea what they're doing. Um, there, you have to recognize that talent acquisition, HR, two very different functions. Um, there are some HR people who come from talent acquisition, understand very well, but there's just as many who don't. And if you, as a leader making that first hire, don't quite get the difference. Like you've already kind of set yourselves up to fail. So having someone who strategically understands talent acquisition and the different avenues, the types of people you need, the challenges you make, what projects you make strategically, setting up all these processes and things we're talking about, that's like level 1 groundwork. Past that, um it depends what you hire for. Um but you're if if you're hiring in tech, if you're a tech focused firm, you're going to need a couple like strong tech recruiters. Like there's no way around it. Like it's it's a hard skill set to find um generalist recruiters who don't know tech are going to really struggle with it. I mean, those are the positions that take the most time and effort to get into. Like you're going to need someone there. I would then have um you know, one person for the everything else recruiting, your go-to market positions, your sales, your marketing, your um operations, um someone who's more of a generalist that can handle kind of a more wide variety of things. They're probably going to have some specialty skill set somewhere, but um I think that I would call this functional recruiting people who who look at it more in terms of like, um, if you look at marketing, okay, what, what business problems have they solved or same from sales and those types of things, as opposed to tech recruiting, which is just a kind of a different animal past that. Um, I, it, it, depends how big, it depends how many people you're building out. Right. If you need a three person team, that's where yeah. I would go. Yeah. Um, if past that, like at some point you need to look at sourcing. You need to understand that if you can get a true sourcer. Who actually like comes like doesn't not just a junior person who you're telling the source, but someone who actually really gradually can create kind of strategic plans around that will make your team's life a lot easier. Um I go back and forth on when to bring in like a branding person. Um I think that branding and communications are incumbent to any good recruiter skill set. I don't think that's um, that's not an immediate need until you start really building things out more. But I think as you're making those first recruiters hires, you need to make sure you've got someone that's something you vet on to make sure they at least understand, like they've got strong written communication skills. They know how to partner with hiring managers. That's something you add later. I don't know. I hope that's a decent enough answer. I wasn't planning for this one. So
0: (laughs) yeah, no, that was a curveball I threw at you. Sorry. Um, That, you know, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, I, I, one of the things that I think is like TA teams are true I agree with you that it's 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 traditionally HR people that lead the TA team and it is a different skill set. But I think it's traditionally like for years recruitment has been the way into HR. Mm-hmm. You started off as a recruiter and you worked your way up into an HR generalist and you worked your way up into an HR leader. And I, I don't like that model because there are two different things. Well, the challenge
1: is too, is that like, um, a lot of people got out of recruiting because they don't like it, you know, and they don't want to do it. They don't want to deal with it. Um, it might not be in their strength. It wasn't a good fit for them personally. Um, but then you're going back and have, if you're hiring that person to run your HR and TA, like they're running part of an organization that they didn't, I mean, anytime you're managing something that you yourself didn't like and didn't want to do. Um, you're probably not the best person for that. And I can say that about no. myself and other things I do. Like, I'm sure I, I can lead some things, but it's not going to get my, my best attention because there's a reason why I got out of it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Like I remember back in my early, early days, uh, I was the sole HR person for a nine store, um, retail, audio video, retail, uh, location, um, and. So I was doing HR and recruiting. And at that time I hated recruiting. I Mm -hmm. absolutely hated it because I felt like it took me away from everything else that I was trying to accomplish. And so when my attention was divided, it was more of a pain in my ass than something that I gave myself to. And it's funny because now everything I do is centered around recruitment. So, um. But it's because I came back to it with a different point of view and I started coming back to it with my sales and marketing hat on and getting into recruitment marketing and really understanding sort of that point of view on it. Yeah, I was watching a video on LinkedIn the other day from Tim Sackett, um, who was talking about how TA is overtaking the conversation from HR with business leaders. And I totally agree with him on that, um. I think business leaders are really starting to understand and talk about the talent crunch that they're under. Uh, but I don't think we have a talent shortage. I really don't. Um, and that's another curveball that I don't know if we want to go down that How path or not, what do you, what not, do you mean?
1: I guess you say there's a talent crunch, but not a shortage.
0: I think there's lots of talent around. Um, we're not creative. It, like we're, I, I think a lot of TA teams are still using the old, uh, try to disqualify as many people as they possibly can they use a lot of old technology in terms of um, how they source candidates not necessarily source candidates um how they screen candidates and disqualify candidates and and you know there's still companies that is expect it the, you to is it fill the, out a job app like to register to apply right like that just doesn't Makes sense to me.
1: Is it the TA teams or is it the hiring man hiring teams? You know, those are two different things. This point comes up a lot and it gets lost on a lot of people that it's the recruiters are, recruiters have their marching orders. They're told to go and find something. Now, good recruiters, and this is, I think this is the gap between your, your good recruiter and your recruiter who kind of sucks as just an order taker is when you run into a brick wall, you should be gathering data. So that way you can articulate back to the hiring teams, why their requisitions aren't realistic with what's in the market. And I think that's where a lot of organizations break down is like, recruiters are great. Who can go on and say, okay, we we scoured the market. We talked to, we contacted hundred, 200 people, whatever that number is. We screened, you know, 20, 30, 40, here's what ran into, here's why no one's interested. Here's why no one's getting back specifically. And here are the recommendations we have to change kind of the openness on your requirement. That's what a good recruiter does your crappy recruiter who, you know, for whatever reason, um, just keeps banging their head against the wall, you know, they keep trying to find that purple squirrel without telling the hiring team, you're doing something stupid that doesn't work. So I forget how we're getting on this, but I think that's kind of a key differentiator too, when you're looking at this, because I, I think I know where you're coming from and that there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of people who want to make career pivots. There's a lot of people with non-traditional backgrounds. There's a lot of people who maybe they were contract heavy or short stints at firms, which gets looked down upon. There's a lot of reasons why people who are good, um, get looked down upon in the traditional sense, because they don't have that perfect track record of working with, you know, four companies with five years, whenever, you know, uh, whatever the thing is, but it's not always the recruiters making that call. Now, again, the good recruiters should be helping them make that pivot. But I'm just saying that I think that is, it's a lot of, um, it's it's a lot of traditional thinking among hiring managers and hiring leaders that we're still where we were 10 years ago when those backgrounds were more the norm whereas now we're in an economy where things just change more rapidly and people change more rapidly their jobs i mean
0: yeah i agree 100% i i i think it's it's tough to grade recruiters and um TA teams on, on some of the things that hiring managers have the final decision on. Um, but there are a lot of hiring managers out there. You're right. That are just like, you know, I, I don't like this person. I want it because
1: I want it. it. Like this is, these are my requirements. I'm not listening to anybody. This is what I need because I said so. And that's why your position stays open for six months or a year or whatever it is. And you claim there's not enough talent out there.
0: Or, or my favorite is. Um, this person
1: is perfect. Can you find me two more? Yeah. No, no, it's the perfect. Why didn't you hire them? Yeah. It's perfect. Great fit. Perfect it's means lo- lo- don't say perfect yeah. unless you're putting an offer out right now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so. And, and when I say, when I said, I, I don't think there's a talent shortage and I I went down the, re- the recruiter path that I, I don't like, you can't, you're right. You can't blame the frontline recruiters, because they have, they have their marching orders and, and they're doing what, like, if I'm recruiting for X, Y, Z company as a, as a sourcer or recruiter or whatever, I can't control the tech that they use. I can't control, um, you know, their, their hiring process to an extent I can offer my opinion, but obviously it's the TA leader that makes that decision. Um, but it, I, I think recruitment needs to become more relationship and and less transactional Mm -hmm. um which is again going back to why i love you guys and your model um it it to me it's just in in that again goes back to that cyclical of well i need i need bodies i'm going to bring in recruiter because i need to react yeah and now we don't and i'm going to let them go and now we need bodies i'm going to bring in a recruiter i'm going to react right and so the inherent difference if you want to
1: sorry the inherent difference there is it's easier it should be easier for external agencies to have a longer term view on relationships with candidates um than it is for internal teams it should be because internal teams internal teams are only hiring when they need to hire for those roles they have right now and you know for for certain positions if it's if they're they're hiring a. VP of finance, you don't need to hire those very often, you know, so you're not building after you make that hire, you're not really maintaining those relationships for the next time you need to hire a VP of finance. You know what I mean? So meanwhile, right. agencies, yeah. that's all they do. every That's what they should be doing all day. Every day is every time you find someone with a great skill set that you have constant demand for, whether it's finance or tech or whatever, staying in touch with them, fostering that relationship, trying to find, because you're always going to have other clients to have those similar needs, maybe next week, maybe next month. And so, to your point, like that's where I think it's um, companies don't always get a, that's another value, which I wasn't even thinking of until you landed me on that. So, thank you. Um, it is pot, it's, it's probable agencies should have better relationships and you find the right agency to work with. They will have better relationships than your current team internally, only because of that cyclical factor and the fact that they always need to find these kind of skill sets. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so if I was hiring, um, you know, if I was hiring a VP of finance, I would want to work with an agency that hires a lot of VPs of finance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Unless I had a relationship with an agency that did a lot of things. But, um, but you're right, like, unless I'm hiring multiple people for a role, like if I'm high, if I'm a tech company and I'm hiring a lot of developers, I wouldn't want to re- relationship with developers, Mm -hmm. I'm going to want to nurture them. I'm going to want to, um, do things to keep people in my pipeline and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. But if I'm hiring a salesperson once every six months, it's not worth the effort. Yeah. So you're better off partnering with somebody who hires them every day.
1: Yeah. It's the, I've heard, you know, just mixed like companies trying to start their quote unquote talent community, which turns into like, it's an email list of next time we need to make a hire. It's not really a talent community, you know? So yeah, I, I think that, um, and I guess I should say, I, I may have accidentally <laughs> took a flamethrower to like, I'm sure after thinking back what I've said so far in this podcast, like there might be some HR people already pissed off at me. And there's probably some eternal recruiters who are very good or pissed off at me because I need to say, let me go hedge myself before those whole thing ends. There is. There are a lot of good HR people who do come from talent acquisition who get it. There are a lot of internal recruiters who are skilled at building long-term relationships. But unfortunately, it's not always the norm and it's not something you can expect your more junior to mid-level people who are newer to these things to be able to do well. I guess is the better way of saying it, so.
0: That's all right. It's okay if somebody gets mad at you once (laughs) in a
1: while.
0: (laughs) I've always said, if you don't give somebody a reason to hate you, you'll never give somebody a reason to love you. Yeah. So um so yeah you know what uh we we definitely have uh said a lot of things and uh so um on that note um i think we'll uh we'll call it there and uh maybe we'll pick this conversation up sometime in season three
1: yeah thanks for having me on happy to stop by some other time yeah it was great
0: and uh you know i look forward to your next 10 minute rant <laughs> so do i All right. Thanks a lot.